0: Okay, friends, so we've got Indy the dog here. We'll see how long she stays with me for the sermon. Losing her already. Um, Are you back with us? Can you hear me okay? Um, Have you got your Bible in front of you still open at Acts chapter 2? And have you got something to write on? You might notice the board behind me here. Is that in frame, guys? Yeah. Um, These are the key words we're going to look at today, and I want you to do some scribbling and some thinking together and Indies chasing a fly, and this is all, oh, it's all part of it. It's all happening here. Um, just, just as we get into the passage, guys, can, um, just, just before we get there, two quick things. Number one, if you've got questions that come up as we're looking at this passage this afternoon, um, feel free to tap away, pop them into the YouTube comments or on the Facebook group, um, and I'll do what I can to address them at the end. The other thing, the second thing is, that's okay, you can leave her. She's all right. The second thing is, Um, This week we put together a little video about um, Anchor Church finances, how they work at the moment and how we're going with our giving at the moment. Um, Posted that video on the Facebook group. So those of you who are part of Anchor Church, you belong to Anchor Church, um, many of you have watched that already. If you haven't watched it yet, go and have a look. Um, But also I want to say to those of you who are tuning in and you're actually just trying to find out a little bit more about Anchor Church and you've got questions like, where does the money come from when you're starting a new church? How is this working for these guys? You're super welcome to watch this video and actually we're happy to give you whatever information would be helpful. So if you just let us know you'd like um, to know a little more about the finances, um, we can flick you a link to this video um, or give you any information that you'd like to know. You're more than welcome to, um, to have access to that. Okay, chapter 2, verses 42 through to... 47 Um, are you with me are you ready to go this passage that we're looking at this week gives us a sneak peek it's like we're looking through the window into the life of the early church and particularly the Christian community of the early believers Um, it's the church that basically exploded to life um, when 3,000 people got converted um, when Peter did his outdoor sermon um, at Pentecost um, and you know, 3,000 people got saved, and since that day, every day the Lord is adding to their number. So, this early church, this first church, is just growing quite rapidly. It's quite an amazing thing, the, the description that we get here. Um, what, what we see are two main things happening for the early church. Number one, they're reaching out, uh, they're being witnesses for Jesus, they're speaking the gospel, they're telling people how to come and get saved, and it's basically all who call on the name of the Lord. Jesus will be saved. So that's the first thing they're doing. They're reaching out. The second thing they're doing is they're pouring in, pouring into Christian community to build up a church that's caring and loving and can welcome people into a beautiful community of Christ. So that's the two things they're doing. Um, They're reaching out and they're pouring in. Um, These verses, verses 42 to 47, I think give us really good insight to how they're pouring in to each other how they're working hard to build a Christian community. And what, what I can spot is six features of their life together. And they're the six words on the board that's there behind me. So if you've got a bit of paper or, or you want to sketch this out, draw, draw six boxes with these words in the top of each box um, and, and see what you can, what you can receive um, this afternoon in regards to these six features of their life together as the early church. Um, what we're going to try and do is this. Um, we're going to look at how they lived and then we're going to try and be real and ask ourselves the question, um, is that how we live? What's our reality? We want to try and spot the gaps between how they lived and how we lived and just honestly pray and ask about what we're going to do about that. Um, We want to be really honest as we approach the scriptures and examine ourselves well. Um, My heart in doing this, you know, this examination this afternoon is not that we'd be left feeling just wracked with guilt because we don't live up to any of these six things or, or just feel exhausted how are we ever going to do these things. Um, what, the heart in this is to actually lift up God's brilliant picture of Christian communal life together. Um, we want to catch a vision for Christian life. Um, and then we want to acknowledge our own reality, our own brokenness, our own limits. Um, but we want to look to God's design and strain towards that. And we're going to strain towards it with the help of the Spirit of God, not in our own strength. But that's what we am going to do. Spot gaps, um, be re- real about where we're at, see God's ideal picture and strain towards it. Are you with me on that? Two key words come up for me as I consider these things. Um, minimum, maximum. Um, I think sometimes when we look at the Scriptures and, and we see um, the way Christians have lived and, and we see instructions about how, where to live, we can find ourselves thinking, uh, okay, um, but then we just minimise it Or we just do the bare minimum of that thing in our life, and that's what I want you to try and spot for yourself. Where are these things in your life, but you've you've actually done, you've worked subtly to really minimise that, so it doesn't really interrupt with all the other things you're trying to do in your life. Um, It's and and it's not very costly to you because it's it's really been minimised. Um, Obviously, the opposite of that is to maximise these features in our life, and the reason why I use the word maximise is because of the second word in the passage we're looking at here today. Hopefully you've got it open in front of you. Verse 42, tell me what the second word is. I'm going to wait for someone in this room to tell me what it is. They. The second word in the passage. The second word, devoted. devoted. Devoted, that's it. I reckon some of you guys got that before the people in my room did. Are you with me, guys? I've got an ESV. You've got an ESV. <laughs> okay, I guess... And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. The word I was looking for, and I know some of you got it, didn't you, is the word devoted. <laughs> these six things are not just features that they kind of um, did a little bit of. Um, they, they were devoted to these things together. I think the opposite of devoted is not nothing, it's to dabble. You know that word dabble? Um, I, it might be that some of these things you think, yeah, I dabble in that. I, I kind of do that occasionally, but it's on the fringe of my life. I'm minimising any cost, living that kind of a way. Um, and here's the encouragement for you to spot the areas where you're doing that and think about what it's going to mean for you to move from dabbling to being devoted to these features of the Christian life together. That word devoted, just, it's going to be a key theme for us this afternoon. What does it mean to be devoted? Well, for them it meant that they, they gave themselves fully to to being excited um, and living serious about this new life. Um, Many of these people had just recently been saved. Um, They're catching a hold of a new identity in Christ, a new identity with each other as God's people, um, and they're giving themselves fully to it. Um, And as they catch a sense of their identity, it's fueling um, passion for these new habits and practices. It's a whole new life in Christ together they they're understanding they've been brought into like a new family so instead of just looking around at the other believers and just seeing random christians who apparently they're meant to like now they're actually catching that they've actually been brought into a household they've been brought into or born into by the spirit a new family and so they're looking around they're seeing they've got brothers and sisters this is an eternal family and they're actually devoting themselves to each other you're catching the picture And I think for you and I, we do need to understand our identity in Christ and our identity with each other, because that is what will fuel our approach to each other. And instead of dabbling in relationship with each other, kind of being a little bit friendly, we'll actually step towards devoting ourselves to each other the way God intends and knowing the incredible privilege of being devoted to each other in this way. And one final thing I want you to notice just in this intro bit is this. They were devoted, but not in a begrudging way. These aren't a list of things. They're like, oh, okay, we have to do these things, so we do it begrudgingly. No, no, no. They're enjoying um, devoting themselves to these things together. There's gladness and there's joy in their hearts as they live this way. It's an incredible privilege to live in Christian community, devoted to each other, and that's the vision we want to catch today. So six things as we, as we go through. And I'm, I've got a little sense that I'm, I'm actually not going to get through all six um, because they're all so big. But we'll see how we go. If we don't get through all six, we'll cut off at the time when people start waving at me. And, um, and then we'll see if we can pick it up next week. But let's, let's look at the first six. Here's the first one. You can see it up there on the board. Um, but look at verse 42 in your Bible. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You got that? So the first thing they devoted themselves to is teaching. And, and it's the apostles' teaching. Um, the apostles are the ones who Jesus chose and commissioned and, and promised that by the Spirit they would be able to remember all of his words and they would be led into truth. And they are the ones who write the New Testament, the apostles. And the new believers here devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And and the guts of the apostles' teaching was basically this. You see it modelled for us all the way through Acts. They dive back into the Old Testament, which is all they had at the time. They were the scriptures. And they explained how the promises and the prophecy of the Old Testament, all of the promises and the prophecies are actually fulfilled in this Messiah, Jesus. That was the apostles' teaching. It's all been pointing towards Jesus. He's come. He's the one who lived a perfect life under the law On your behalf, he's the one who went to the cross and took upon himself your failure, your sin and and the punishment that you deserve for your sin. And then he's the one who rose again from the dead and really did rise to actually offer forgiveness of sin and relationship with God like you were made for. This is the sense of the apostles teaching. It's all about Jesus. And this is what they devoted themselves to we basically have the apostles teaching for us in the new testament because the apostles actually went on to write most of the letters of the new testament so we have the apostles teaching um, and and so you can see how we are to be devoted to the apostles teaching we'll get to that in a minute anyway um, the early believers um, why why were they devoted to the teaching of the apostles um, is it because the apostles were these incredible teachers, really entertaining in their speaking and so they just everyone wanted more of it. There's actually no evidence that any of the apostles were epic communicators in any way. These really these early believers were just people who were devoted to being taught and particularly taught the word of God. That's what they were devoted to, hearing the voice of God from the scriptures. They were devoted to being taught the truth. And so that's how it applies to us. We ask the question, are we too devoted to being taught the Word of God? Are we hungry for the Word of God? Are we devoted to just wanting to humbly sit under the Word of God? Are we the kind of Christians who carry with us really well-used Bibles because we're devoted to the Word? We've got a pattern in our church Um, or a rhythm where we just basically will work through books of the Bible. We'll let the Bible set the agenda for us. And each week we've got a passage and many of you know this and and, and you're in that passage throughout the week in your personal quiet time and in your prayer time. And then you jump in a home group at some point during the week and you get to hear your brothers and sisters' thoughts about that passage and you share with each other. And then, of course, here in this moment on Sunday, we gather in the way that we're gathering at the moment to basically celebrate the word that we've been in all week long and we have the word preached to us. This is our pattern as a church. It's our way of attempting to humbly sit under the word of God and actually not just sit under it, but actually do life in the word together. And, and, and my conviction is this, is that we're, as we're in the word like that, being taught week in, week out, we will together as a community repent of sin. We will be changed together we will grow together the way God intends us to. So we commit ourselves and we try and ask the question, what does it mean for us to be even more devoted to being taught the Word of God? It it might be at the moment that as you think about that, you think, is that what you'd say of yourself, that you're devoted to sitting under teaching? Or is it the case that you maybe have slipped more towards just kind of doing the bare minimum of being taught at the moment? I think that can happen when times change and it might even be during this time of restriction that you've kind of slipped into a different pattern for yourself and it might be just a bit of a holding pattern where you're not really sitting yourself under the word a lot and maybe you're not being taught a lot, but you're thinking, look, it's just for a moment. I'm in holding And and you're waiting for this moment that's going to come apparently very soon where we all just click back to normal, back to the way it was. It's probably not going to happen like that we're probably actually not going to be able to just click back to normal the way we were, even though we only got about seven weeks being normal. It's not going to happen overnight and it's probably not going to happen very soon. It's likely going to be in stages. And I say that not to spook you, but we want to know the reality of this. I say it to you, if you are in a holding pattern right now, where you're thinking, yeah, I'll get back to Bible reading. I'll get back to sharing in the word with brothers. I'll get back to kind of sitting seriously under the word in church when everything gets back to normal. You're going to miss out on the opportunity in this moment to be devoted to the word. Because this moment may go a lot longer than you think. So what does it look like for you to be devoted to being taught the word in this season that we're in right now? What might it look like for you to just take a step toward being more devoted from where you are at right now? Where where are you at? Do you need to start rescheduling your quiet time and get back into daily Bible reading? Do you need to jump into a home group or or start a new group and actually start meeting with your brothers and sisters as we're allowed to midweek in the Word? Do you need to do something to actually reposition yourself better to actually be postured well, to be taught the Word on Sunday afternoons in this moment? Um, some of some of you are actually you, you're not planning and maybe you're not positioning yourself well to be sitting under teaching right now. And those of you who are not doing that, you're probably not even listening to this right now. Um, but it, maybe you're listening to this a few days afterwards because you didn't get your act together on Sunday or whatever's going on for you. Shape your weekend around church and do everything you can to prepare yourself and your household to sit humbly under the teaching of the word. Now, whoever's bringing it to you in whatever format we can pull it off, devoted to the word of God. And know this here's my final thing on this bit. Um, who you become tomorrow is shaped by the habits and devotions that you have today. So today's the day to make changes if you're spotting changes. Do you want to become someone who is who delights in the word of God and loves being taught the word and you grow in your knowledge of God's voice to you in the scriptures. Today's the day to actually get your habits sorted and step towards devotion, all right? There's the first feature. Second feature, fellowship. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is a bit of an overused word. Um, and unfortunately the word fellowship often just gets reduced to that thing that Christians do when church is finished and you stand around with a cup of tea talking about the weather. Let's have some fellowship. Or, or some people get their Christian friends together for like a board game night on a Friday night and have some fellowship. Um, <laughs> Dad, that, people really like board games. I know people like board games. It's okay if you like board games. What I'm saying is um, let's think about what fellowship really is. Because, actually, our whole community, everybody's laughing at I'm sorry, I don't mean to pay out on... People do all kinds of things when they get together, and those things are they're good in and of themselves, but the question is, what is fellowship? Everyone in our community desires connection. Um, and, and, and really, it, we're built for connection, but you can find connection in any kind of club in our community, in sporting clubs, in the bowling club, in the bridge club, in the board game club, right? You can form your own club and you can get connection, right? And everyone needs connection. But what's Christian fellowship? It's not just being in the same space with other Christians. It's more about why you're together and what you're doing when you're together. The Greek word that's translated fellowship here is the word koinonia. And that word koinonia has got a bit of a broader meaning and sometimes is not translated fellowship. Sometimes it's translated partnership. And I think this is really helpful for us to understand. In fact, if you go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, the, the word koinonia is there, um, but it's translated as Paul says um, to them, you're always in our prayers um, because of our, your fellowship with us in the gospel. Sorry, he doesn't say the word fellowship. He says your partnership with us. In the gospel. That's the point I'm trying to make. The word partnership, I think, is really helpful because it helps you understand that fellowship really is this concept of a common goal and working on a common project together. And that's what the early believers were doing here. Really, their fellowship was that they were working together for the gospel and for gospel growth. That's what their fellowship was. So, really, I think a really helpful one helpful definition of fellowship is this partnership in the gospel, partnership in the gospel. And when Paul talks about that in Philippians, he's actually talking about their financial partnership in the gospel. Actually, that's what he's encouraged by them. So if we're going to have fellowship with each other, it's more like this. Here's the heart of it. We look each other in the eye and we say to each other, let's do this together. Do what together? Let's, let's, let's give ourselves to growing the gospel together. That's what fellowship is. A cup of tea, talking about the weather. That can kind of be part of it. But I tell you what, if you, if you are just talking about the weather with a Christian brother or sister, fellowship will actually in your heart draw you towards wanting the conversation to go further and go deeper until you start asking questions, how are you going? You know, and how are you going in the Lord? You know, how are you going with the gospel? And then when you find out what's going on, there's an offer of saying, well, what can I do to partner with you in, in your Christian life? What, what can I do to help you or serve you? And, and fellowship or partnership will mean together we, we say to each other, what can we be doing to help and serve the rest of church in gospel ministry? And what can we be doing to help and serve our whole community by holding out the gospel to them? That's what fellowship is. Partnership in the gospel. Are you devoted to fellowship. Because okay, I'll tell you one thing for sure is if you're devoted to fellowship, if you're devoted to partnering with your brothers and sisters in gospel growth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. It's going to cost you in your time. It's going to cost you in your energy. It's going to cost you in your emotions. It's going to cost you in your finances. It's a big part of our fellowship together. So how are you going? Bare minimum or you are you wanting to maximize your fellowship? Because this is the kind of thing you need to fight for. One thing that's really obvious to me, if we're going to be devoted to each other and really partner with each other for gospel growth, for the name of the Lord, um, it, it's going to affect how many other things we can also be devoted to. You know, you've only got so much time and energy and finances and, uh, in your life. yeah. So to be devoted to this will mean saying no to being devoted to other things or being devoted to those other things less. That's what being devoted to this means. Yeah? There's fellowship. Here's the third thing. Bread. Now I've just called, I've just put it up there. Bread, um, but really the phrase is breaking bread. Have a look at it there with me. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking bread. Um, the phrase breaking bread comes from. Um, that the meal that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified where he took some bread and he broke it and he handed it to his disciples and said eat this and remember my body broken for you that I'm about to do tomorrow uh, he also took a cup and passed that around and said drink this and remember my blood shed for you now we, we typically when we do that type of a um, of, of a, of a um, activity we typically today we call that the Lord's Supper or communion but funnily enough it usually involves a tiny piece of bread and a tiny little cup it's like a mini meal the way we do it these days but breaking bread um, back in the day was bigger than just little little moments and and I think you can um, you can pick up on that look at verse 46 mentions breaking bread again every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes And ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So it appears as though this breaking bread looks like a full meal together, a full meal where there's um, glad and sincere hearts. So they're looking around the table and they're loving each other and they're enjoying each other's favour and praising God together. They ate with glad and sincere hearts. I didn't read that, did I? Praising God. And enjoying the favor of all men. So, the concept of breaking bread is bigger, I think, than just simply a little mini meal that we call communion. I think breaking bread um, for the early believers involved a full meal where there was enjoyment of each other and enjoyment of food, but explicit gratefulness and praising to God. Yeah? And in the ancient world, sharing a meal um, was always more than just hospitality, anyway. These days we share a meal and it's kind of food, thanks for the food, that's great. In the ancient world, if you're going to share a meal with someone, you're basically identifying with them. You're expressing that you are unified with them, which is why you might pick up that Jews and Gentiles would never have eaten together In the ancient world until jesus came along and saved both of them but that's what's happening here there's meal sharing which is basically christians saying to other christians we're unified in this we believe the same thing we're on the same page i want to identify with you that's what's happening with meal sharing in the ancient world so it's much bigger than just um breaking bread It's much bigger than just sharing a little bit of um bread and juice i hear people today sometimes um, use the phrase come on let's go break some bread I should you've heard people say that. Let's break some bread. And what they mean by that is just eat and drink and have a good time. Um, This is not that. Breaking bread for the early believers was to enjoy food and people and God. Enjoy God together. So do we do that? Are we devoted to breaking bread where we share meals and we love each other and we actually praise God and enjoy God together in our meals? How do you do that anyway? I know many of you attempt to do that in many ways. I've heard of a lot of great ideas. I think there are many ways. There's ways to greet people when they come into your house that acknowledges God. Of course, there's saying grace before you eat. There's, um, you know, during the meal, kind of sharing what's going on for you. Within your life, there's opening up the scriptures while you're having a meal and reading some passages to each other. There's sharing words of encouragement. There's actually doing communion itself. We actually break bread and remember Jesus's words and his death to us. You can do that during the meal. After the meal, you can sing. You can pray. Now, now some of you sitting there thinking, I don't think I can do all those things. That sounds scary. I find it hard enough to even Feed people in my own house, let alone. That might sound like a high bar. And if that's for you, if that's a high bar, then I'd simply say this, at least say grace. At least before you eat or share a common table in your household, no matter who's with you or not, stop and say grace acknowledge thankfulness to God for all the good things he gives us, the ultimate thing being Jesus, and learn to make that a practice that you do whenever you are at a common table in your household. And no matter who comes into your household, still say grace. And we had people over yesterday who, who, um, you know, just from down the street, and, you know, sometimes if you're thinking, "Oh, well, they think it's weird if we say grace, usually I'll just throw something out there like, hey, we normally pray before we eat. Are you guys okay with that? I guarantee you, no one will ever say no, you know, get your house, it's your table. You're allowed to say grace. And, and, and why wouldn't we want to acknowledge the goodness of God in every moment and in all our moments? So at least say grace. Now, tonight, I, you know, there's an encouragement to actually get some households together and share a meal together after church. There's a sense in which we're breaking bread tonight in that we'll share a meal together. But here's my encouragement to you. Share a meal together and praise God in the meal somehow together. At least say grace. Maybe do more. Share over the meal um, how you found the word tonight. Share um, what, what God is doing with you. Maybe someone can lead you in song. Maybe you can spend some time in prayer. Do whatever you can to express thankfulness and gratefulness to God in your meal. And we'll be breaking bread tonight together. Um, Now, obviously, we're not all together as a church. We're looking forward to when we can have big meals together again. Um, But at the moment, we're spread out in our different households, trying to break bread at the same time in the week. Um, And maybe we can be praying for each other. So maybe pray for other households when you're breaking bread. And and, and I think this is actually the type of thing that right now in this season um, of restriction is, is a really good practice for us to learn how to develop. There's many things we can't do, but what we can do is at least have someone in your household and share a meal together and break bread together. Um, I want you to you know, do, do everything you can to spot opportunities in this season, in the season when there's things we can't do. What can we do? And I think this is gonna be a big one for us. It's an opportunity for us to practise hospitality, learn how to host, learn how to plan in advance, um, take the initiative, spot people who are feeling isolated. If you're feeling isolated, have people over to your house. And wouldn't it be awesome if through this season, we we developed in our ability to break bread together, so much so that it just kind of became more and more part of our culture as Christians. We got better at knowing how to share meals and express thankfulness to God. So give it a go tonight. Give it a go next week. And here's the thing. How about every week from now on? We all do what we can to get together with another household, share a meal, break bread style, okay? You might actually want to do actual communion, but at least express gratefulness to God. This is the season where it's time for us to grow in this skill of breaking bread. What do you reckon? Each week, let's do that. Let's make the most of this season. Um, Let's learn how to express gratefulness over food um, towards God for each other and everything. There you go. There's a great opportunity: breaking bread in this season. That's number three. I've got three more to go. One more? I reckon at least one more or two more if I go fast through them. If I talk really fast, unhelpfully fast, no one gets helped. Um, okay, let's look at the fourth one here, verse 42. All four of them are in the first verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And to prayer. So here's the fourth one prayer. Um, the Jewish practice in the ancient world um, was to pray at least three times a day, kneeling in personal prayer. It also seems as though, and you get reference to this, that they met every day in the temple courts, and that would have involved prayer. And they're also there in their homes, breaking bread and praising God, which would have involved prayer. Can you catch the picture of how the early believers were devoted to prayer? The picture I get in my mind is that they're speaking to God and communicating to God just kind of happened all the time, everywhere they were. It wasn't confined to a particular place in a particular fashion, you know, for a particular moment. Their acknowledging of God and communicating with God seemed to just be everywhere in their lives. It It seemed as though they're just always inviting God into the moment, no matter where they were. They were devoted to prayer. Can you catch that picture? And here we are as a church in the more modern world. We've got things that are structured and we've got things that are unstructured as a church. In our structured things like church and home group and you know every, you know prayer for lunch on Wednesdays, those of you who are doing that with us, um, prayer nights when we have them, there are more structured events, of course, there's going to be prayer in those gatherings and, and some of them more prayer than others. But I want you to also think about your unstructured gatherings. When you're together with other believers, a brother and a sister, I want to encourage you to learn how to say these two words. You're hanging out with a brother or sister or maybe someone who's not even and there's a moment in the conversation or a moment in your gathering where you say these two words, let's pray. Those two words are two beautiful words that can transform our lives together. Just those two words, let's pray. It's it's not only pastors who are allowed to say that. In fact, I've never been knocked back um, from saying those two words whenever I'm with anyone. But it's not just because I'm a pastor. If you're a Christian, you're allowed to say those two words to whoever you're with, and actually start praying there in the moment for them. Sometimes you might say, well, I'll pray for you," and that's okay. But what about praying there and then in the moment? Um, you're having a conversation after church. Let's pray. You're having chats over the phone or a Zoom chat. Let's pray. You're having 5Gs on the hill. Let's pray. You're driving in the car, even on the green screen. Let's pray. You're having catch ups over coffee. Let's pray. You're playing sport or you're having a holiday or you're having some hang time. Let's pray. Someone shares with you something tragic that's happened for them or some great news that's happened for them. Let's pray. And I guarantee you, at least nine out of 10 times, whoever you say those words to will say, okay, okay. And I tell you what, if you ever say those words to me, I will say, okay, um, I'll take all the prayer I can get. And if you want to pray for me, and I love it when I'm with people and they say, let's pray, I'm like, let's pray, you know? I I think that's probably just a little wind, that's a a little detail into what it might look for for us to be devoted to prayer. Constantly grabbing hold of the privilege that we have to be able to speak to a God, you know, through his son who listens. Here's our prayers devoted to prayer. I reckon we've got time for another one or two. The um, fifth feature um, of the life of the early believers together. Um, You read on verse 43 and it says... Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, you might notice I've picked six things, which is not everything here in this passage. Things like signs and wonders, you'll notice I haven't picked them as one of the six. And let me just give you a really quick word on that. How do you know when you're reading the book of Acts, whether what you read about is something that we should expect as normal for our Christian lives today and press into, or whether it's something that's kind of unique, in that moment of the first moment where the holy spirit's being poured out on all believers the one here's one key principle for reading the whole of the book of acts can you see explicit instruction about that thing in the rest of the letters from the apostles to the churches as you read on in the new testament because if you see explicit instruction then yes, it's one of the things we ought to be leaning into. But where there isn't explicit instruction, and, and I'll give you one classic example. When the apostles preached here in the early church, their preaching was accompanied with signs and wonders um, constantly. Now, is that should that be the case today? Should my preaching or anyone's preaching always be accompanied with signs and wonders? Otherwise, you don't need to listen to it. Well, if that's the case, you probably need to, tune out now because I don't think I've done any sign or wonder lately apart from hearing the news that the word that I preach is actually having an impact on people's life which is the ultimate miracle um, well the question I'd ask you know do signs and wonders need to be there well do you see in the rest of the New Testament letters specific instruction that the preaching of the leaders needed to be accompanied you just don't see it You see, you see explicit instruction read the word of God publicly preach the word in season and out season. You know, you you see that. Now, if the signs and wonders, then that's fantastic. Okay, so that's just a little bit of an apologetic or a hermeneutic on how to read the book of Acts. Not all of these things are things we need to expect to happen in our time. And I think signs and wonders is one of those. Um, But look, read on with me. Um, Verse 44, um, here's where we get to um, sharing. Sharing is caring. That's the point for this one. Verse 44, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You catch that? That's pretty amazing. And actually, if you flick over to chapter 4, you get another little window into it as well. Chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. And the grace of God was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's pretty radical sharing and caring and actually it goes on there and there's a little example of how um, a fellow named joseph actually um, sold one of his properties and brought the money um, to the church to the apostles and everyone was so encouraged by it that they changed his name and they instead from that point on they called him barnabas because apparently barnabas means son of encouragement so I'll tell you what, you can use that word anytime you see a brother or sister be incredibly generous and sharing and caring towards other brothers and sisters. You can just go ahead and call them Barnabas. Um, now, what happens to you when you read this account of how radical their generosity was for each other? You, you might think, wow, did, did people really live like that? I'm not sure I could live like that. What we see here is such a strong commitment to each other as fellow Christians, that they were willing to sacrifice for anyone who is needy to the point where it says there were no needy persons among them, which is astounding really. You've got thousands of people and no one is in need. What a beautiful place to belong to, a community where you can be cared for and looked after. Um, How do we apply this to us today? Do we have to live in communes? Um, Is it wrong to own any possessions? Um, Some would say, yeah, that's right. And they form up something that's like a Christian cult, which is devastating. Now, the answer to that is no. These early believers in their freedom and in their passion chose to live this way, partly because it was the only way that needy people could be actually provided for in the ancient world. Remember, you're talking about a time in history under Roman rule where there wasn't a government that was actually, you know, had a social welfare plan with job keeper and job seeker and handouts and things to actually care for people when they find themselves in need like we live in now. There wasn't social welfare. So the needy in the ancient society basically just became destitute if no one was going to be generous to them. So the only way needy people in the Christian community could be cared for is if their brothers and sisters actually gave generously to actually care for them. And that's how it's a little bit different for us. Um, We live in a a country with a social welfare system, which is quite astounding. And um, and it's astounding because it's actually just based on Christian principles. But people are being cared for in our country in quite a phenomenal way at the moment. So it's what we're living in this time is kind of different. But I'll tell you what's the same is we as Christians live as part of a Christian community. We live in a Jesus community. We're the ones who need to understand that we belong to each other. Um, this is your eternal household. You will be with each other forever. And if that's the case, then we need to notice the needs of the people, the brothers and sisters in our own family. And when we notice them, act sacrificially to help them and to serve them, and that will involve our finances. So, so to be devoted to actually what I would call is mutual care and concern, devoted to sharing and caring, I think will cost us financially. Do, do you notice the needs of your brothers and sisters and are you ready to jump in and help? What, what this will mean for us is that, that we, will, we will give sometimes of our savings, sometimes we'll sell things to help people who are in need because we care so much for each other. We'll be ready to help financially to individuals who we see in church, and this also comes under the cover of actually helping by actually giving to church, because giving to church is helping a community function in a way that we can actually love and care for each other and reach out. So this is part of our sharing and our caring, our mutual concern for each other. It involves our finances. The final one is um, the final one is worship. Um, but I'm looking at the time and I'm just going to press pause there. I've gone for long enough. But I, I will just kind of end on the, the, the big point that I think all this hangs off. You might be, you might have just had five, the six of them kind of uh, these features brought to you and you're thinking, I'm falling short in all of these areas. All, all of these activities hang off one word, devoted. The early believers were devoted to God and to each other. They understood the reality of what, it, what they were brought into, they were brought into a relationship with Jesus and into a household that's eternal. And, and so they, they looked around and just didn't see randoms. They saw brothers and sisters and their hearts went out to each other to live together and be devoted to each other. And if, and if you understand your identity in Christ and our new identity as the family of God, then this will fuel our devotion to each other it will shape the way we live towards each other. Hope that's helpful. Um, I'm going to pray. Um, and um, yeah, how about I pray? Father God, you, you have come and you have saved us with your Son. You've brought us into a relationship with you. And you've brought us into a household, a family that's spiritual and it's eternal. And and we're going to belong to each other forever. Lord, would you work by your spirit to help us be devoted to each other in a way that actually gives you honour and is, is compelling to the world that we live in. We love you, Lord, and we want to give ourselves to you fully. Amen.